Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale presents. You are listening to the orbiting human circus of the air. We find our janitor quietly descending the stairs at the Eiffel Tower. He's heard footsteps below, but they've suddenly stopped. And the janitor thinks he knows where. He quietly tiptoes down to the spot. It's the landing where Coco always left the key for the ticket booth clerk. And there's somebody there now. But his heart falls because he senses it is not Coco. But then his heart begins to beat more quickly in his chest and unable to help himself, he peeks just a tiny bit around the corner. The ticket booth clerk is there. The other young man is feeling beneath the banister, like someone who doesn't at all expect to find what he is looking for. And the janitor catches a brief glimpse of his eyes, and he forgets to breathe. But suddenly, the ticket booth clerk turns and begins climbing towards him. The janitor backs up the stairs, trying to keep ahead of the clerk. The janitor reaches the door to the observation deck. Passing through, he ducks into the shadows beside it. The ticket booth clerk emerges, and the janitor watches his silhouette disappear as it goes past. He's heading towards Eiffel's apartment. But the janitor stays behind and hides. And, in truth, he hides now. Not because he is afraid of being seen, but because, like all of us, he is afraid of not being seen. And finding that, to the other person, he does not exist. The ticket booth clerk has stopped at the door of Eiffel's apartment. He tries the handle, and of course it's locked. He looks in the apartment's circular window, and as he does, the janitor can't help but come out of the shadows and watch. The ticket booth clerk was looking at the apartment as if for the last time to say thank you and goodbye. It seemed those evenings alone playing in Eiffel's apartment meant as much to the ticket booth clerk as they did to the janitor. And the janitor remembers the conversation he'd overheard between Coco and the ticket booth clerk. The two had been saying that music was one of the few things that had the power to make everything right. And he recalled the clerk had said that he'd lived in a small room. It's a rooming house. And that he missed playing the piano more than anything in the world. And then Coco had his wonderful idea. But Julian, stop daydreaming! The ticket booth clerk is turning around! The ticket booth clerk stares in his direction, and the clerk begins walking towards him, and walks right past him, disappearing down the stairs. In truth, he is glad the clerk didn't see him. I was scared. He didn't know what to say. Well, there'll be no more music on the Eiffel Tower, but the janitor doesn't have time to think about that or the ticket booth clerk right now. 
he has something more important to think about. Where's Coco? The janitor decides to stand vigil on top of the ticket booth. Well, really lie down in vigil. He climbs up and perches, watching for Coco or news of him. And he stays this way all through the night and even stays up there hidden through the next day when the tower opens. Night falls again. The hours pass and the tower is now silent. The janitor struggles against sleep. He, he, he doesn't want to miss anything. But several times he almost nods off until suddenly he hears footsteps approaching. It's Mr. Chenard. Mr. Chenard walks right up to the ticket booth. Zabel. He opens the door and goes inside. What's he doing in there? The janitor quietly opens the vent and climbs into the heating duct. Peering into the booth, he can see Mr. Chenard checking the time clock. Just like that. Oh, go, 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 go. What am I going to do? Mr. Chenard is hyperventilating. He pulls a small book of poetry out of his pocket and begins reading it to calm himself down. The janitor has seen him do this before. In the morning, they stretched swollen pillows, birthed them bedrooms to awaken in. The janitor listens and is surprised to find the poetry is calming him, too. It's pretty. <gasps> it's me. I'm in the duct. What are you doing in the duct? Get out of there! I did not ask you to clean the duct! The janitor scrambles out of the heating duct, jumps off the roof, and enters the ticket booth by its front door. What were you doing? It's looking for Coco. In there? I thought you were a ghost. Are you? I don't know. Actually. Oh boy. What is that book that you read? Oh, the, the poems. Uh, <laughs> these are the poems of uh, Thema Seville. Uh, they always make me feel better. <laughs> oh, I, I had to memorize one of her poems for school. It was... It was really neat. That, uh... Are you hearing what I'm hearing? That was how we met, actually, Coco and I. The janitor's chatting. Look at him go. He likes her poems too, huh? She was Coco's wife. Coco? I'm so proud of him. Mr. Trenard gestures off into Paris. A grave is not far from where I live, and sometimes I stop by and say, Hello. And uh, one day I go, and there's Coco. The janitor's eyes widen. And, uh... I think, who is this man? This is my mama with uh, with Emma. But, uh, of course, uh, he tells me she was my wife. And I think, oh, no. So many beautiful poems are about this man. And I recognize him because a uh, long, long time ago, Coco was a famous musician. Really? Yeah, he played the guitar. Beautiful. Guitar. And, uh, and Emma. Uh, they met in uh, Alem a long, long time ago in the nightclub and uh, they fell in love. You know, he, he was amused. And so there I am, standing with the man. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's very uh, emotional. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Coco, uh, we become friends. I, I, I notice that always he has the holes in his clothes mm. and he's very skinny. Perhaps he is not eating enough. Uh, 
I don't know. And I think I have to give this man something to do. And so I invite him to come and work at Sitawa. You know. You haven't seen him, have you? Yeah, he hasn't been here for four nights. Four nights. Julia, I very worried. Me too. I think the janitor is making a friend. Okay. Mr. Chenard is extending his hand to shake. The janitor takes it. They have to go and deal with this mess. They're shaking hands. Bye-bye. Bye, Mr. Chenard. Okay. Mr. Chenard leaves the janitor, standing in the middle of the ticket booth, a place the janitor is well aware he does not belong. And so he respectfully turns off the light and exits. But at that exact moment, the janitor feels an itch not to do something. An actual itch. Now, an itch is an easy thing to imagine. Sometimes we involuntarily recourse to our imaginations to distract us. And in the janitor's case, it's clear he has, because there is a flea crawling up his arm, and it's begun to speak. Okay, okay, I'm going to do another impression. Are you ready? <coughs> oh, Mr. Chenard, Coco will come in, and I don't know what to do, and I can't do anything. How's that? Did you like that? I can do some more if you want. No, that's, that's okay, actually. You sure? Yeah. Well, then how about doing this? The flea hops off and disappears under the door of the ticket booth. The janitor follows him in. What are you doing? He turns on the light. I'm over here. And the janitor sees the flea, which hops into the night watchman's locker. The janitor puts his eye up to the tiny opening in the locker door, and the flea comes to rest on the page of Coco's open notebook. This is good stuff. You should read it. It's locked. There's a cinder block on the ground behind the ticket booth. Grab it. I can't, I can't do that. I'm telling you that there's stuff in here that'll show you where Coco is. You afraid to break a lock? What's the point of having an imagination if you can't use it to make things happen? Come on! What would Letitia do? I don't know. What would Jacques do? Smash it. Make Jacques proud. The janitor goes and returns with the cinder block, and taking aim at the lock, swings down, much too hard, obliterating the lock and the door, which falls off its hinges. That was good. Oh, boy, you don't do things by half measure. It felt good. Okay, you can put down the cinder block now. Oh. Uh, go ahead. Put it down. Put it down. The janitor puts down the cinder block, and outside it begins to rain. Picking up the notebook, he forgets the flea, which hops off, and turning the pages of Coco's notebook, he begins to read. When Mr. Chenard first offered me this job at the Eiffel Tower, I feared for his sanity. I am 90 years old, though I must admit his offer did appeal to my vanity. For on a good day, I do feel I could pass for 70. At the tower, I found Mr. Chenard's sanity very much in question. He had invented a janitor... Go on. He had invented a janitor who he insisted to everyone who would listen lived on a janitor's closet near the top of the tower. This is good. It was also known that Mr. Chenard not only did all the cleaning for this imaginary janitor, 
but that he did his eating as well, sneaking into the commissary late at night to binge on chocolate croissants and emphatically claiming it to be the janitor's doing. Hilarious. The commissary staff jokingly refers to the janitor as the ghost of the Eiffel Tower. Go on. Decided to humor Mr. Trenard about his janitor. I began to work. The janitor turns the page. I found the tower at night startlingly beautiful, awe-inspiring, but so many stairs. Why all the stairs? Nobody needs this many stairs. After completing one shift, I felt there was no way a man my age could do this work at the tower, but I dragged my sore body out of bed every night and found myself drawn back to it. Why? Because there, for the first time in years, my loneliness went away. The tower was keeping me company. Oh. But over time, this strange feeling of companionship altered. It was unmistakable. He was being followed. Let me read. I was being followed. I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to be followed, might as well be friendly. I didn't know anything about ghosts. I had not believed in them. But I thought, okay, and so I made a game of it. Oh my goodness, I had fun. I cannot convey how much. You will have to live to 90 yourself and find your own ghost to play hide-and-seek with on a national monument. And my strategy worked. <laughs> he revealed himself to me. I saw over my shoulder the waif-like figure of a pale young man. What does waif-like mean? Strapping and manly. Cool. And I approached him, and he spoke. He then told me a long and fascinating story, which, along with names, places, and what deeds I could infer, I have recorded here. And indeed, as the janitor flipped through, he found every bit of his story about the ballroom at the top of the Eiffel Tower. And furthermore, he found that Coco had organized every detail he'd ever given him about John Cameron, Letitia, Jacques, Lily, and all the rest of them. The janitor flips through to the end of this. But there's more. There's a direction that... Wait. The janitor has stopped. He's had a bit of a surprise. I'll read it for him. There is a direction that from the top of the Eiffel Tower the janitor cannot look. He never does. When on the tower, if it's necessary for him to turn in that direction, he looks down at his feet or at the deck, but under no circumstances will he look out at what seems to be a very particular spot 
somewhere in Paris. I never realized. It's true. What is he? It says, I began bringing a map with me. And whenever I noticed the janitor exhibiting this blind spot, tried to mark down its exact coordinates. I'm going tomorrow. What? The next entry begins on the following page. I have found something out. I'm going back tomorrow. Well, read the next entry. I am. I'm on the trail. Who would have thought I had the makings of a good detective? More tomorrow. But the next entry was dated a week and a half later. Well, that was exhausting. I... Go ahead. It's okay. I have discovered the truth about the janitor. There is something in the janitor's heart that he has not shared. I want to be worthy of the janitor's trust. Oh, how I long to hear the ending of the story which he tells me, to hear what he has to confide. I have learned that it is not a matter of whether I ever thought it possible he might be a ghost, but that to me he is quite something else. I've grown quite attached to the janitor. I've never had a child, nor a grandchild, but, but it astonishes me to find it now. The janitor looks at the next entry. His eyes widen and he stops. It's the entry he first read, peering into Coco's locker. It says, something has happened. I am no longer sure I can fulfill my responsibilities at the Eiffel Tower. Yada, yada, yada. It has to do with the janitor and the secret that surrounds him. I was so consumed by my idea of helping him, I forgot to Ask the most important question. Does he want my help? Last night, he gave his answer. It was the first thing he'd ever said to me that wasn't part of one of his stories. He said... Leave me alone. Don't you see? It's just like with your great-grandfather. Leave me alone. No, no, leave me alone! The janitor throws down Coco's book, runs out of the ticket booth. He's heading toward the end of the tower grounds, the edge of the girders. He doesn't know what'll happen if he goes past, and he hopes it's oblivion. I don't care anymore. Julian, stop! <laughs> That's it. That's the scream he's been trying to remember. It was the scream he screamed when his lack of confidence in his great-grandfather brought about the end of the best time he'd ever known. The scream of not being able to make things right. Julian. What? 
you have it in you to make things right. I can't even think. Then you've got to sleep. Turn around. Go ahead, do it. That's right. And he, like the true hero he is, goes upstairs, undresses, throws himself in his cot, and buries his face in the pillow. Which is exactly what he should do. I'm just trying to lighten the mood. He rolls over and appears to have fallen asleep. At least, he must have because he feels an itch on the skin of his chest. It's the flea. And it's beginning to talk. What would Letitia do? What would Letitia do? What would Letitia and do? the janitor begins to dream. Meanwhile, in the broadcast ballroom, we find crew chief Letitia and stagehand Francois. It is late at night. The ballroom is closed, and on the wings of the stage, we find them bathing, performing seals in a large tub. Well, he just started screaming and like, uh, uh, leave me alone, he says finally, like very loud. And, uh, oh no, he didn't need to go off and do that. I don't think so, but you know, I'm sure he didn't mean to. No. This one really likes it, huh? This one loves it. Don't you? You know, I can understand. It's scary to love, love somebody, mm -hmm. and it's scary to uh, reveal yourself to somebody who yeah. you really are. But you have to do it. At some point, you can't, you can't let the fear keep you back. Otherwise, it's not a real friendship. Okay, that's it. You know, look, if, if I was Coco, mm -hmm. and, and he came up to me and he said, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I, I, I don't think I don't need, think he'd have to say anything more than that. It's a, he got to get courageous. He's got to get courageous. Oh, see that? You got to know where the sweet spot is. That's all. You know, it's funny. We have to wash the seal, but the seals spend all day zipping around in the water. Yeah. So. Zip, zip, zip. So why do we have to wash him? Because they like it. They like being washed. They love it. What do they like about it? The suds. No. Yeah, no. Yeah, the more suds, look, watch this. Oh my God. See that? Oh my God. See that? That's what you call a smile. <laughs> hey, pass me the, the box over there. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna pour some more suds over there. Yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna dump the whole rest of it over there. Oh yeah, it's a lot seal. Yeah. Oh, you get my speckle. Oh. Oh, oh, oh yeah. It's that, your birthday. Huh? See, it's all getting all foamy now. Oh, very foamy. Yeah. See, oh, he's getting drowsy. Oh, he's closing his eyes even. Yeah. Huh? He's got, oh, he's putting his little head back, huh? Yeah, Deeper yeah. into the water. So sweet. As long as his nose is above the water, huh? Yeah, he can breathe fine. Yeah, he can breathe. Yeah. I never known a seal that drowned. Oh, he likes, likes that. that. Oh, oh, oh yes, put the flipper up. Oh, oh. you ticklish? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. I no, think he's, he's falling smiling. asleep. Yeah. Oh, look, he's nodding off. You're he's right. nodding off. Oh. Okay. Oh, that's all right. It's okay. You're safe. Yeah. You're comfortable. Go to sleep. Go You're to covered sleep. in suits. Little seal face. There he goes. There you go. 
The Orbiting Human Circus in Naughty Till New Year's is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. Episode 12 featured David Barlow, Drew Callender, Julian Coster, Susanna Flood, Andy Lauer, and Tim Robbins. It was written and directed by Julian and produced by Christy Gressman, with musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes and music by The Music Tapes. Lead editor Grant Stewart, editor Janelle Yee, and assistant editors Emily Marinoff and Jeff Tobias with Julian. Sound design by Jonathan Siri-Mose, Foley by John Ringhofer, and lathe cutting by Steve Espinola. Engineering by Vincent Cascione, and additional production and mixing by Will Stanton. Music from the show is being released by Merge Records throughout the season. Look for it on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Bandcamp, or your favorite digital music service provider. Become a friend of the Orbiting Human Circus on Patreon at patreon.com slash orbitinghumancircus, and follow us on Instagram at orbitinghumancircus or Twitter at orbitinghuman. For more information and full credits, go to orbitinghumancircus.com.